This is just a mic test. Mic test. Mic test. My father, can you say something? Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm here. I'm looking forward to this interview or whatever this is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can you say something else? Um, excited to interview Father Brandon. All right, say it again. I'm excited to interview Father Brandon. All right. What's up, This Connected fam? Welcome to a very special episode of This Connected with Catholic.Dad. I'm Catholic.Dad, and this episode we're going to be talking to a beloved father, no one other than longtime resident priest at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Fontana, Father Brendan O'Sullivan. We're just going to have an open and honest conversation with Father and our guest hosts, um, which is one of our former core team member, Camilla, um, and we're just going to talk about generations and situations that hopefully leads us closer to God. So please keep listening, or you might miss out from being able to say this connected. On this connected news and moments and on today's podcast, I'm joined by our guest host, Camilla Leon, former St. Mary's Youth Group Court team from six years ago. She's a graduate from CSU Long Beach with a major in journalism. She is currently working at City Color Cosmetics and hope to continue to pursue writing her book. Welcome to the podcast, Camilla. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. All right. And we don't have any youth co-hosts. You usually have a high school co-host. We usually have a middle school co-host. But unfortunately, they're not here because guess what? It's Wednesday and today is when they have the Edge Youth Group. So they're actually next door, you know, hooting it up and and learning about God, we hope. Um, So I'm here to share some disconnected moments from listeners. So this is from our first time listener who commented about our episode 21 podcast. That's when we went to One Life LA, where we interviewed people who went to the Pro-Life March and the Women's March on January 18th. That was last Saturday. Um, He writes, um, well, this person said, he writes, he said, he writes, I really like how you interviewed both sides. It gives perspective on why the other side thinks the way they do. And I'm glad they were willing to understand our side as well. You know, that was a really good trip. We rode on the train and... Amazingly enough, we were in the train with a few young people who were going to the Women's March and who were pro-choice. And um, just the civility of the conversation, you didn't expect that from the past, people yelling at each other and staring each other down. But they had some, they, they, were, they had conviction in what they were saying. And what I told our youth is, hopefully you guys have that same conviction um, when, when they speak to you. So another listener said also of episode 21, I thought the podcast was great. I think it's important to hear both sides. Even though we might not agree, it helps us deepen our understanding and our own ideologies. So those are a couple of things that connected um, from that podcast. So thank you guys for always sending those comments um, to us. Um, We really appreciate those. It helps us to understand where we're going and what we need to do better in the future. So please continue to send us DMs through our Instagram account. Also send us an email at catholic.dad50 at gmail.com. I think that's right. So we'll be right back with our interview. (music) 
So today is a special day because we actually have someone that everyone um, wants to hear from. You know, Father Brendan is here and he's a longtime resident priest at St. Mary's. And when he announced a couple of weeks ago that he was leaving, a lot of the youth, this is what you heard, oh man, why is he leaving? And I think for a lot of the, the young people, you're the only priest that they've known all their lives, especially the middle schoolers. I mean, they're 12 years old. You've been here how long? 12 years. And so uh, they've not had a moment where they've not seen Father Brendan. So our podcast today is completely Father Brendan. There's questions here that people want to know, want to hear, um, and um, want to hear your story. So instead of Catholic.dad asking these questions, we actually brought in, again, Camilla, who's our guest host, and she's the one who's actually going to have this this conversation with Father, and I'm just going to interject because that's what I do. So, Camilla, take it away. All right. Well, I just want to start by saying thank you so much for being here with us and agreeing to do this interview with us today, Father Brandon. Um, and I also wanted to touch on what Arnell said about the middle schoolers, that you being the only priest that they've known because they're only 12 years old. I was so sad when you announced that you were leaving because I'm 24, so I've known you for literally half my life, mm -hmm. and you have by far like touched me the most as far as any other priest that I've gotten the opportunity to to know. Um, I'm 25. <laughs> <laughs> Square. <laughs> Um, and I remember like one of my first memories of you being a priest at St. Mary's was that when you would start your homilies, you always started with like a quote or like a short story or something like that. And that really resonated with me because I'm a writer, so I love quotes and I love stories and I love hearing that. So I was like, I like this. And it would just get me more focused to pay attention to it. So thank you for that. Okay. And those thank jokes. For that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and jokes. I missed that. Um, okay, but let's get on with the interview. So our first question, we just want you to share your vocation story with us and like how this all started, where you're from, did you grow up in a Catholic family? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. And thanks for that introduction. It's great to be here. It's a great opportunity to just share my story a little bit. I just would like to comment a little bit on the introduction when you were talking about civility. I just thought, you know, what's going on in the national scene today? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the civility of the young people swept up or crept up into the mm -hmm. civility in our national leaders? Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's an aside. But you asked me about um, my vocation story. You know, I, I grew up in a, a, a very strong Catholic neighborhood. It would have been almost called a Catholic ghetto. Practically everybody I knew was a Catholic. I never ran into somebody who was not a Catholic until I was in the Little League. And some of the little kids in the Little League were not Catholics, and that was news to me, because I grew up in a Catholic school, Catholic family. And when you did that, you were always, even from the beginning, even from fifth grade, sixth grade, all nuns. I had all nuns, teachers. And of course, uh, they would stress vocation, and they were always talking about vocation. They would say, you know, the best thing you could be would be a priest, and the very best thing you could be would be a missionary priest. And so I always had that in mind. And then listening to stories of missionaries like St. Isaac Jogues and people like that that came over and sacrificed their lives. They, they were my heroes when I was like fifth, sixth, seventh grade like that. So I was always, I'd always had it in the back of my mind. And then I went to a Catholic high school and uh, with the Dominican priests. And a lot of our teachers were Dominican priests and a lot were uh, lay people. And it was always there in the back of my mind, and should I or shouldn't I? I'm very interested in sports and <laughs> the social life. I was interested in the social life too. 
and I didn't think uh, somehow a seminary would cater to my needs in that area. So, you know, I had great respect for the priests in our parish. We had great priests in our parish. But somehow I figured, you know, seminarians wouldn't be the kind of people I'd really want to hang around with. So I finished high school and thinking about it back and forth. Then I went into college. I was at Loyola University, another Catholic school. And uh, I was with a, a very good group and a fraternity. And one fine day, about two years after I was in college and I was dating somebody, and I, you know, I was thinking, man, man, which direction am I gonna go? And this thing was always in the back of my mind, should I give it a shot? And that's what I decided. I just, one fine day, I got up early in the morning and I called the, say, the Columban Fathers in the morning, <laughs> Monday morning. And I don't know what they thought about that. And I said, could I talk to the vocation director in which I did? Anyway, so that's what happened. So my attitude was, I'll just give it a shot. I'll give it a try, and if, if it doesn't work, that's great, because I'll be relieved. I was half open it didn't work, <laughs> because I was having a good time in college and everything was going well. But that's what I did. So after two and a half years at, at the University of Loyola there in Chicago, I went into the seminary, and uh, it just worked out well. It was a good group. I got very lucky to, to run into the Columban Fathers, which, who I think were, uh, they just suited me. I liked the guys that were there, it was a good group, we were all interested in the same thing, very sports-minded, social-minded too, and we, you know, we studied, and all, we all had that vision of mission, what that mission was going to be, because uh, you know, it was something we grew up with, and of course we had pictures of ourselves hacking through the jungle, you know, converting people <laughs> and, all that, and doing good and saving the world. But uh, yeah, so that's where, that's uh, my vocation story, and that's, and yeah, very Catholic family. I'm an only child. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people, you know, especially when I was in the Philippines, a lot of people would say, only child. They actually thought I was quite cruel. Uh, you know, they didn't, I, I always got the, I got the impression from a lot of people, they didn't respect that. Because if you were an only child, you should have stayed home and taken, taken care mm -hmm. of your parents, mm -hmm. you know. Really. I got that sense. But anyway, I'm an only child and my mother supports. She didn't, nobody forced me. And uh, sometimes people say, well, what did your folks think when you went to the seminary, you know, after two and a half years of college. Well, my father gave me great support. He said, you're not holy enough. And, <laughs> and, and my mother said, well, stay at least six months and don't embarrass the family. Because <laughs> she half figured I'd go in last a week and I'd be back out again. But uh, no, no, so I, that was it. I went in and I just ran into a good group. I ran into a, a good order. Columban Fathers. It's not a religious order. It's really a society of apostolic life, as we call it. Um, we don't take vows. We take oaths. We're like secular priests banded together for a specific mission. And uh, so I'll, I'll let you ask another question before I carry <laughs> no, that on was, here. That was really great. I feel uh, like you even went on and answered some of the other questions that we had. So, um, but just to just to, just to, just to interject in there, you said missionary. Yeah. So. So every time we, we when the, the youth are always asking them missionaries, it means you know something. You're going foreign countries. Did you go to foreign countries, and how long did you serve there? Where did you serve, and how was that experience? Yeah, well, in those days, the, the, I'm talking the '60s. This is a long time ago. In those days, the idea of mission was that you went to a foreign country. You didn't consider mission at home. That's another topic which has changed a lot yeah. in the meantime. But in those days, you went out to uh, other countries, and that was the whole idea, that you would bring the word of the Lord to places that hadn't heard it before, or had heard it and, and had lost it in some ways or other, no? And uh, so that was the idea of mission. So our particular group, though, was founded to go to China, the Missionary Society of St. Columban, because 
our founder, <clears throat> it's interesting, this is really interesting, he was ordained in Ireland in, um, in uh, 1908. And the problem in Ireland in 1908 was there's too many priests. There was no place for them. So there was no place in Ireland for this guy. So they had to go someplace. And so a lot of them went to Australia. A lot of them came here to the States. You find that Irish influence in the States mm -hmm. very much here. But he had, so he ended up going to Holy Rosary Parish in New York. And, but he always wanted to be a missionary. And uh, of course, that wasn't really approved by his father. You know, in those days, uh, you know, like missionaries, priests might have been considered a little bit second-class citizens in Ireland in those days. So his father wanted him to be in Ireland, but there was no place for him in Ireland. So he's in New York, still interested in mission. And uh, a priest who had been in China came, Father Fraser, And he came and he bumped into uh, our, you know, uh, Galvin, Edward Galvin, who was our founder. He just bumped into him for lunch one day. And the reason Galvin is most interesting, the reason Galvin was there at lunch, is somebody had called up because they wanted to go to confession. He had planned on being away, but he was, they went to confession, then he was there for lunch, met Fraser. Fraser suggested he go to, to China because the tremendous need in China at that time for Christianity. So, and he ended up going to China. And so he went to China then, and uh, it's a very interesting story. Um, they wanted to, they saw the need for mission in China because, you know, a huge population and uh, there was no priest there. And so they were wondering, these three young Irish priests, he met another couple of Irish priests over there, should we start a society or shouldn't we? Should we be missionaries or should we not be? And you know what they did at those days? They, they believed that if you took a ser prayed seriously for nine days and did a novena and then opened the Bible at random, you would get the answer that you're looking for. And that's exactly what he did. They prayed for nine days, they opened the Bible, and they read Jonah, and what they said in Jonah was, I am with you in whatever you should do. And so they decided to go back and they started this uh, Columban Society, which was meant for China in the first place. And I won't go into any more of the history of the Columban Fathers unless you, ask, <laughs> unless you ask me any more questions. But, you know, it was great. It was an impulse. It was just a tremendous desire for mission. And that's what mission was in those days. You go to a country that needs to hear the word of the Lord. And there's nobody in those days that needed to hear it more than China. China. Because China was a disaster in so many ways in those days. All right. Mm. So um, one of, I think, Arnell wrote this question. Um, or no. Which one? Seven. Oh. Um, that you're our resident priest. And so for those who don't know what that is, could you just like tell us what you do? Yeah, uh, resident priest, technically that just means I'm a priest in residence, which means they don't pay me. <laughs> well, I'm sort of half retired, I suppose. But, you know, the parish can't afford to have, you know, too many paid priests. So there's two priests here already, and they're part of the, on the diocesan salary. So I'm just here, you know, to help out in whatever way. And so the resident priest, but I do the same thing that anybody else does. But I, I'd be more available for things, you know, because I'm a little bit freer and I have no responsibility. And uh, I always joke to tell people, what does it mean? I say, well, I say, if you tell me you have a problem, I say, I couldn't agree with you more, but you need to see the pastor about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but a resident priest, it doesn't mean anything in particular. It just means I live here and I'm part of the, the clerical staff here. Okay. Um, do you remember your first memory or your first impression of St. Mary's? Yeah, uh, I came, well, I came here, I was um, a little bit ill at the time, and I was having trouble talking. <laughs> and the other two priests were here at the time had trouble hearing, 
<laughs> so it was great fun because I'd be sitting in the back seat of the car and the two priests were sitting in the front seat and I couldn't talk loud and they couldn't hear so whatever but anyway that's yeah, I'm only kidding that was my no but it, it's oh, no, funny story <laughs> but uh, no I, I just slowly worked my way into St. Mary's Parish I saw what a vibrant place it was and the first thing that really impressed me because I was coming to Mass and I wasn't I wasn't able to say Mass or anything like that I was living in the rectory nobody knew who I was I was just hanging around <laughs> I was really impressed with the quality of the liturgy you know the music and the enthusiasm and everybody singing because I come from a background where nobody sings at Mass not really you know you get a choir and it's all you know it's professional stuff in a lot of places and uh, you know so the singing is very good but the people don't sing yeah. but here the people sing it's tremendous you know that so I think that was my first impression, that this was a lively community with people very engaged. And of course, I've come to discover that so much more of that since then. And, uh, and what's really impressed me as I go along is the, the amount of volunteer work. Mm -hmm. You know what amazes me is there's a group of people come in here on Sunday morning, volunteers to clean the church, mm -hmm. and then they come in again on Monday, a different group come in on Monday morning, and they clean the church after Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, any other parish I've ever been in, you pay somebody to yeah. do that. So it's, it's a wonderful sense of uh, community and volunteerism around here, and it, just a deep faith. I, I'd say more than anything, the faith of the people really impresses me. Like one of the things is, a lot of times I'm taking the Blessed Sacrament outside so it can be exposed for a retreat. Maybe they have mm -hmm. a little tent outside. So I'm bringing the Blessed Sacrament out, and I'd be walking on one side of the plaza, and there's people, they're probably 40 yards away from me, 50 yards away from me, and they see what I'm doing and they kneel down, including the kids. Mm -hmm. Everybody's kneeling down. You know, just the, the immense respect for, you know, the Eucharist and the respect for the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament is really amazing. Anyway. I, I totally agree with you, Father. I mean, when, when we came here, we, we had a hard time finding St. Mary's, first of all, because it's a warehouse. And so we passed by it several times. Uh, but as you said, um, we fell in love with this parish because of the reverence, because of their love of the Eucharist, and, and seeing little kids kneeling on the dirt because Jesus is passing by. You don't see that in, in other parishes. Also, it's, what's really unique here is church never closes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll always yeah. find someone laying down in the Blessed Sacrament. That's right. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny last Sunday. A little girl came up, it was right after the collection, and she just came, there was the, the crib was there, you know, the, mm -hmm. and, uh, and she just came up and blessed herself and knelt in front of the crib as all the people were the church were looking at her, and she put her two hands together and said a prayer, and then, then blessed herself and, and ran off. <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably about six, I'd say she oh was six God. years old. Just a great scene, you know, yeah. That's anyway. Cute. Okay. Um, so before you came to St. Mary's, had you ever been anywhere else with the population of Latinos, like as big as we have here? No, I, I was never in contact with Latinos before I came here. Uh, my experience in the Philippines, I've spent most of my life in administration, really, or leadership in, in our society. But uh, when I went to the Philippines, the second parish I was in, uh, it was uh, it was 60,000 people. It was a wow. place called Pagadian in Zamboanga del Sur. And there was five priests in the parish, or four priests, and I was the pastor there. And I was also the president of the college. We had St. Columban's College there also. And so I was doing that for a while. But 60,000 people with probably 50 or 60 barrios. And barrios are places you'd go out mm -hmm. occasionally and say mass and, and you know have baptisms and maybe weddings or something like that. So, But Latinos, no. 
Filipinos. I was there for 10 years okay. and I uh, you know, was in a couple of parishes. So my question there is, how did you learn Spanish? Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you speak I bluffed. so well. I bluffed. No, I, 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 I bluffed. <laughs> no, I, I started learning Spanish when I was 65. And uh, wow. I, I get away with it, but you know, I get by, um, especially religious topics, you know. Like in the confessional, all I need is one word in a sentence, and I know what to, I, I know what the sin is. <laughs> so, but some, so, sometimes I have, leave in Spanish with you. Sometimes I have to wonder who did what to whom. <laughs> I'm not sure sometimes. No, but I, you know, I get by in the Spanish. I'm sorry, I, I didn't do, do it a little bit better. Philippines, no problem. It's a more difficult language. Cebuano, not Tagalog. Because it was down south, it was a different language. Mm -hmm. I had no problem picking that up after six months. I was fine, but uh, you know, Spanish, it's just, you get a little rusty as time goes on. Yeah, I, I haven't caught on either, and I, I try to wing it, and then they all of a sudden they start speaking really quick, and I'm like, I, I'm compromiso. Uh, so. <laughs> but you you do it well. It's like I'm impressed. You you once said that you know what you were watching um, Spanish TV shows. To practice, uh, I tried that. Didn't work. Okay, <laughs> must have been watching the right shows. I was not watching the right shows. Okay. Here's a question I wanted to ask, and I think Camille wanted to ask too. It's like, do you remember your first memory? I, I think yes, you asked that. that. Yeah. Says, um, what about what has been your most rewarding experience? Well, the, the, what's really rewarding is uh, now that I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting tons of affirmation. You know? So, where was all this? I'm, yeah, only, where, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. No, no. With the the real reward is just the the people here. You know, it's fantastic. I I've really been accepted here. You know, despite it all, and I've really enjoyed. People have confidence in me. You know, and people, yeah, they, they just uh, I get a sense that they really trust me, and uh, believe in what I have to say and what I'm doing. So that's the most rewarding thing is just being accepted. As a, and you know, it's a great gift. Remember Andrew Greeley one time, he was a Catholic priest, wrote a lot of books, for a writer like yourself, you might read some of his stuff. But he was a sociologist and a great writer. He wrote novels also, so he's a very well educated man. But anyway, what he said is priests are luxury items. You know, we really don't need them in a sense that they're extra. You know, we get what we could get by without what they do. But that's, you know, not exactly true because I think what we do is really we give people a wonderful opportunity to express their faith. And that's what's been rewarding for me, is listening to the faith of the people here, because it's amazing. It's just, and, you know, I came here in 2008, and that's when the downturn in the economy was, and lots of people were losing their houses and losing their jobs and stuff like that. And I ran into so many of them that just had confidence in the Lord that it was all going to work out. If I had lost my house and my job, I'd be... You know, I, I think I'd be going goofy. Yeah. But the, the faith of the people that, that that happened to, that really impressed me. And that was when I was first here, like mm. 2009, 2010, when this was going on. Yeah. So we're going to take a little short break right here, because after this, we're going to ask questions that came from our listeners online. Um, uh, questions that uh, people uh, DM'd us on our Instagram account. So we will be right back. Mm. Hey, did you know that our podcast is sponsored by Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. 
Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. So it's always good to um, to hear from our listeners and what they want to ask. And some of these people um, uh, from from Instagram uh, sent us these questions to ask you, Father. And so we're going to begin with um, this question from um, this young man named Alexis Lomeli. Literally, his Instagram account is his name. So he'll ask his question. Um, he's asking, what has been your biggest test of faith? Well, you know, I think my biggest test of faith is not dissimilar to what a lot of other people's test of faith is when something goes radically wrong in their life or when you see an injustice and you ask that classic question of why does God allow this to happen? So when I was in Pagadian in the Philippines, um, we had a tsunami and uh, <clears throat> an awful lot of people were killed during, during that time because we, our town, the Pagadian, was on the bay. And uh, what happened was the... The earthquake took place out on the water, and then the, we had a great tsunami, a great wave came into the city. It didn't affect us where we were in the rectory of the convento because we were up on a hill, but it affected an awful lot of people who lived out in houses over the water, as you see in the mm-hmm. Philippines quite often, in bamboo houses over the... and, and uh, it came in that day. So that was, that was a big test of faith, to see all the suffering and all the things that went on, and you just say, you know, like, why did this happen? That, that's one way. And I, I suppose from time to time, that's the biggest... From time to time, you just, you know, you wonder your faith, you, you just question it, you know, which I think is good. Because a lot of people ask me, you know, when they come in and have doubts, I think it's good to have doubts, because I think doubts, when you have doubts and you resolve your doubts, your faith is that much deeper, so. Yeah. But that, that would be the biggest one, yeah. Okay. This is a question from um, Victoria. She asks, um, when do you feel closest to God? Well, that's pretty clear. That's the obvious one during the consecration. <laughs> Yeah, during the consecration, when you're saying, this is my body, you know, this is my blood. So you just feel uh, you're wonderful, wonderful good. And especially when you look out on, on people, and as you sometimes will get the sense, and they're very much feeling the same thing, a closeness to the Lord at that time. You know, I think that's what really affects us as a priest so very much, you know, when you see that deep faith of the people, a deep faith in the Eucharist. But anyway, that's when I feel closest to God, when I'm up there, uh, you know, offering the liturgy. And feel God is there in His presence in that very special way when He's actually literally there, you know, in His body and blood. So. I want to add to that because every morning at seven thirty, when I used to run, I used to run. I don't anymore. That's why I'm fat. Uh, but seven thirty, I would pass you, and every day you walk at that specific time. Is that your usual routine? What do you do? Is is it time for prayer for you, or is it just? Yeah, we just yeah a little bit. But at seven fifteen, actually, I'm just walking around the block. <clears throat> And then later on in the day, I go for a five-mile walk if, if, I, if I have time. And most days I do have time because I'm a resident priest. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, at that time I'm just walking around meditating. It just it clears the mind. Often, and it's amazing what comes into your mind when you're just not thinking about anything. You know, just you remember stuff that you should remember. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm praying exactly. I'm just being open to whatever comes my way. That's all. Yeah. 
So our next question comes from online as well, from Leo. And he wants you to know, by the way, that you are his role model. So he asks, Father Brendan, how do you remain so humble? Well, uh, people keep me humble when they tell me what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. I don't know. I would never accuse myself of being particularly humble. I don't know. It's... Uh, I was just saying today, though, to somebody else, I was talking to that, is that, I remember St. Augustine said one time, there's three virtues that you really need as the basis of the spiritual life. Humility, humility, and humility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how do you remain so humble? I don't know. I, I think it's just being honest with yourself and other people. And, and it's not cringing. It's not denying what the talent you have. It's just, as, insofar as you possibly can, just being yourself and having the confidence that the Lord wants you to be just exactly that and that's your mission to be who you are and when you are when you have that that's the best way to share the Lord. Okay. I, I have to ask this question. <laughs> okay. I wasn't going to ask this question but it was the weirdest question that was sent but it's from um, uh, this person it's the true good and beautiful she asks what do you want to do before you die? <laughs> I was like I've never I was like yeah I had to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Live to the full would be the simple, <laughs> simple answer to that one. Live to the full before you die. Yeah. There you go. There you go, true and good and beautiful. <laughs> Live to the full before, before you, you die. die. Yeah, yeah. It's no particular thing. I don't want to visit Hawaii or the Kathmandu or anything like that. No, just because I've done plenty of traveling anyway. But, yeah, just to be who you are. Okay. And the last online question comes from Chaparri. Yeah, that one's a lot. Yeah. Um, how do you overcome spiritual dryness, and what is the importance of prayer? Well, I'm not sure you ever overcome spiritual dryness. You're not in control of that. You are the recipient of maybe a good experience in prayer. I always think of Mother Teresa. She, she, for years and years and years, she had no great experience of the presence of the Lord in her life. Huh? That was spiritual dryness for her, and she just lived through it. You just accept what it is. And so you don't overcome it, you let it overcome you. And the importance of prayer is just sticking with it and giving it time. You know, Like a lot of people say, I feel distracted in prayer. That's fine, feel distracted, that's nothing wrong with that. But just relax about it. Because I think a lot of people fight distractions. I don't think you should fight distractions. I think, you know, you're sitting there and you're praying and whatever's going on. And uh, you get distracted and you just say to yourself, oh, that's important. Yeah, I'm going to think about that later. And just relax and come back to the lecture what you were doing and not to worry not to worry if you give it the time and you're trying and just to relax I think the, the best things will happen not to fight it not to grit your teeth <laughs> you know all that but it's just being their presence prayer and especially maybe in community with other people again you know the same thing if you're praying with other people it makes a big difference so mm -hmm. support you in that Wow. Thank you, Father. I mean, you've made such an impact on myself and Camilla and a lot of these young people. Um, any last words you want to say to these young people I and even the parishioners? Okay. Oh, we have one more. One yeah. more question. Okay. I just wanted to save it to land and I forgot it was on this page. Um, what advice would you give a young person, high school age or older, who may feel that the Lord is calling him or her to priesthood or the religious life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what, I would just say, give it a try, because you can never be too sure. It's the, everybody's vocation is different. There are people who have had the vocation since grammar school almost. Other people get a vocation when they're 50. 
and for one reason or another, for all sorts, every vocation is unique, every vocation is different. Don't wait until you get hit over the head with a vision. I think a lot of people are sort of half expecting the Lord to speak to them. You know, I wonder if I have a vocation. Well, the Lord wants me. He's going to tell me. No, in no uncertain terms, he's going to hit me over the head with that. No, that's not what's going to happen. I think you just think about it, pray about it. And if, if you think it might be right for you, get advice. Get advice from somebody that you trust and who's not going to force you, but is going to help you think it out for yourself. But I think what's missing is it's not part of the community a possibility for many young people today. They just don't think about it. When I was growing up uh, in the grammar school class I went to, there was 127 of us graduated from grammar school. Um, there was about seven or eight went to seminary. My high school class, 240, uh, 13 or 14 went in the seminary. Not all got ordained, but it was, it was one of the things you could do. But now it's not one of the things you can do. So there's so much more pressure on kids. But what I would say is, if you really give it a shot, just give it a shot. What's going to cost you? Mm -hmm. It's going to cost you a year, maybe, of your life, and you're going to learn a lot. You're going to have a great experience. And, you're not, and I've run into a lot of ex-seminarians, people who have given it a try, even up to ordination. You know, people who have been six, five, six, seven years. And I'm going to visit one in a couple of weeks on my way home. And I'm going to Nebraska. And that's, they, they never regret. They never regret the time they spent in the seminary because it was an enriching time and they became closer to the Lord. So, uh, I would I would just say if somebody was serious, I'd say pray about it, uh, talk to somebody that you trust about it, and go give it a shot, give it a shot, and and I think if you do give it a shot, the Lord will let you know. The Lord will let you know, and you're going to be you're going to you know sometimes you're in the five or six or ten years whatever you're in the seminary, you're going to have doubts. That's okay. It's good to have doubts, because when you get to overcome those doubts, or if the doubts maybe are leading you in a different direction, that's fine. If they're leading you into the priesthood, it's great to have had them and to have overcome them. Great advice, Father. Thank you very much. This is also not a question, but um, this person sent this maybe towards a podcast. He said, he says, let him know that he is very respected priest that will be missed by many. He wishes you good luck out there and he gives you his thanks. Um, we're going to cut here and we're going to come back because... We usually do on this podcast, we're going to ask Father Brendan and our co-host, um, who's their patron saint, or, you know, what would be their patronage when they do become that saint. So we will be right back. Hey, Goose, you belong to that youth group, right? Yeah, I go to Edge at St. Mary's. And you, Serena? I go to the high school group, Life Team. You know, youth ministry is so underfunded and could really use help. Yeah, we do. If you're out there listening and would like to make a donation to keep youth ministry alive in this parish, please send a donation to St. Mary's Youth Ministry and mail it to 16550 Harupa Avenue, Fontana, California, 92337. Or go directly to the link in this podcast and make a donation there. 100% of your donation goes directly to funding youth ministry needs. Oh, and don't forget to write down this connected in the comment. That's really cool. I hope people donate. They will. So we have at the end of each episode, we go around and ask our guests who is their patron saint or what would they be a patron saint of when they become a saint. So have you guys thought about that yet? Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's let's start with you, Camilla. <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, naturally, I want to go back to my saint that I chose for confirmation, which was Elizabeth Ann Seaton because she was like 
charity and all that and I really felt like connected to her at that time but after confirmation and I transitioned into doing youth ministry with Arnell and like starting life team and all that Arnell and the kids made me like gave me the patronage of the saint of curly hair so yes. I think I have to just keep it that way and just embrace embrace the hair yes patron saint of hair that's literally <laughs> it's gonna be i think we do have a saint that hair continuously grows <laughs> but but you're gonna have the curls yes. big hair patron saint of big hair uh, how about you father i mean this is where people are wanting to hear who's yeah. patron saint would be your patronage well I, I would just brendan is my name so i'll take saint brendan <laughs> huh and uh, and uh, <laughs> that's humility but <laughs> but anyway saint brendan the navigator as he was an irish saint whom the Irish claim uh, uh, discovered America before Christopher Columbus, way back. And there's some truth to that, of course, although, to tell you the truth, the Irish storytelling, they, as they say, it never loses anything in the telling. <laughs> in other words, the story gets better and better as it's repeated. But anyway, St. Brendan, no, really, there's a possibility, because there is um, some script about, there was a written, uh, something written about his journey, about what he passed through Iceland and Greenland and over to Newfoundland mm -hmm. and all of that. So he was a navigator and he was somebody who traveled fearlessly out there. So that's what be, that's, I would like to think of myself as somebody who would fearlessly travel out there into unknown places. And uh, as a patron saying of what? Well, uh, one of my passions is golf. And golf is not usually associated with spirituality because what goes on in the golf courses <laughs> would break one or two of the commandments. So <laughs> I thought maybe I, when I become a saint, I could become a saint of uh, golf. So, What's your handicap, Father? Andy, well, I went through life uh, seven, but it's probably more like 14 right now. I, I do have to confess that during that last uh, tournament that we had, where we beat you, um, <laughs> I, I did bring in two uh, people who... Um, who were scratch golfers, so yeah. Some guys um, will do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the handicap. Um, but but yeah, it's like I, I have to share the story because I, I use it, you know, I still play golf. But playing Whispering Lakes, um, I remember playing and I saw this one man, he was walking and he had this uh, hat on with a lot of, uh, of um, stuff all over his face with sunscreen. And I remember asking the starter, who's that guy? I said, He's a really good player. You don't want to play with him. <laughs> so, and that was you, because the first time I saw you at St. Mary's, I was like, he's that guy. He's a priest. Yeah, yeah, without so, the hat. Without the hat. So um, I just want to say thank you, Father, for, for yeah, really honoring us. You're for, welcome. For you're doing welcome. This I enjoyed podcast. it very much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and thank you, Camilla. So that ends this very special episode. Thank you to our guest, Father Brendan, for allowing us to enter into your life. Thank you also for being such an amazing shepherd to so many of us here at St. Mary's, especially our youth. Um, also to our guest host today, Camilla, thank you for an awesome job. And, and you know what? We don't have our co-host, but for Valeria out there and Carlos the Goose Gooseman, um, thank you for always being so amazing. If you like this episode or have a comment, um, please send us an email at catholic.dad50 at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, like, and definitely share this podcast with all your friends. Um, Father, before we say goodbye, instead of our usual be blessed and be third send off, would you please offer a closing prayer and priestly blessing? Okay. 
Well, since we're here at St. Mary's and since I'm leaving, I'd just like to pray for everybody here at St. Mary's. We give you thanks, Lord, for the great gift of the community here. We thank you for all the people, their deep faith, which is very impressive and has impressed me very much. We ask you to continue to bless them, and uh, we look forward to their building a new church. But more important than that is the depth of the faith of the community here. So, Lord, we just ask you to bless all the groups here, but especially the youth, because it is a vibrant group group of youth here. We ask that they continue to impress and they continue to grow in their faith and love of you. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless all of them, bless this community. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Right. Okay. Thank you, Camilla. Thank This Connected Podcast is brought to you by The Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest, but not too far away from home or the city? Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The Cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. With easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s with its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out The Cabin on Instagram at thecabin2021. Again, that's at thecabin2021, T-H-E-C-A-B-I-N, 2021.